0: Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You may be thinking, I would love to start investing, but I really have no idea where to start. I don't even know how to figure out what company is good, what company isn't. I'm Shauna Compton Game. This is Millennial Money. And today we're talking a 12 month plan to financial freedom getting invested with author Danielle Town. Plus, an Ask Shauna question all about couples and money. Money on money with Shauna Compton games. It will expand your brain. So I know I answer a lot of questions about couples and money, but I think that just shows that it's really a tough subject. I mean, I think even when I feel like, "Oh, we have this down, we're not" you know, arguing about money, there's no issues, we know the plan, we know where we're going, then something comes up and it's like, "Er, wait a minute, Uh, (laughs) now we're going to go 10 steps backwards. And this isn't that way for every couple, but I've worked with a lot of couples, I've talked with a lot of couples, and I can tell you that more couples than not have some sort of Big question, issue, complexity, frustration, argument, even just those things that you hold on to like he bought what or she spent money on what, those things tend to bubble and linger and develop underneath the surface. And then, you know, something seemingly innocent, an innocent um, bill that you're trying to figure out how to pay, or I don't know, maybe you're trying to do something more complex, like buy a house, those little things underneath the surface, they tend to bubble up and bubble up usually pretty fast. And you know it's just not good from there. So I love to answer lots of different questions about couples and money and share my own experience. And of course, share stories from other people anonymously, of course, um, of, of how they deal with these things. Because I think it's a really real subject that a lot of us aren't prepared for and we don't talk about a lot. So I was really happy I got this question from Amanda and I thought it was such a good one, especially with wedding season coming up. It's probably always wedding season, but I think that something about rolling around this time of year gets a lot of people thinking about money and marriage and, you know, how do you do this? So Amanda says, I have a question regarding joint accounts. I'm getting married next month, and right now my fiancé and I are not planning to set up joint accounts together. He makes more than I do, but we've always been open about money, debt, and savings, and never fought about it. The way we pay for things has been working for us, and we use the same bank, which also makes it easy to transfer money to each other, paying for utilities, etc. My question is, what would be the pros and cons of getting joint accounts for married couples? And I love this question. And I'll say right off the bat, there isn't a right way, there isn't a wrong way to do this. Again, this is one of those completely gray areas when it comes to finance, and you really have to figure out what works best for you. I will say that in my experience, and with a lot of people I've worked with, they've had similar experiences where they've kept things separate, they really haven't fought about money, they understand each other's situation. And then when they get married, it's just not that it gets more complex, but sometimes you're hit with bigger issues. And bigger issues like what if one of the persons in the relationship gets laid off, which is really real. A lot of people are getting laid off without even expecting it, and they're getting smaller and smaller severances, and it can really put a strain. What happens in that situation? Does the other person take over more of the share, or is that person who got laid off still responsible for, quote-unquote, their part? What does that look like? Also, what does it look like if God forbid, one of one of the parties in the relationship gets hurt or sick or injured and can't work. What if there's a long-term disability? Um, gosh, there's so many different scenarios that could happen. What if that happens? What does that look like for you? Um, and what if, let's say you come up against a big purchase, right? You want to buy a house. Or let's say there's infertility and you're trying to figure out, you know, you need IVF, and it's really expensive, you know, let's say it's thirty dollars or $40,000, which I think is actually on the low side, but you have this big expense. How are you going to tackle that? So while I don't think there's a problem with keeping accounts separate, in fact, from what I've seen, it's definitely the majority of people who do this. And I, a lot of people do this because they think, well, This is the way we won't fight about money. But I caution you to have that kind of thinking in your head because there will be something that comes up that you will really seriously have to explore together, even with separate accounts, to figure your way through. So... It sounds, Amanda, like you have talked about money together. You have a really open relationship. And that is an amazing start because a lot of couples want separate accounts because they don't want to have to deal with the crap. They don't want to have to deal with talking about this stuff and, and all of the potential landmines that come along with it. So it sounds like you're in a great position with that. I would just say, look, whether you join accounts or you don't join accounts, that you have discussions about these tough things. What happens if someone gets laid off? What happens if somebody is sick and can't work or injured? What do these scenarios look like? What do the scenarios look like when we want to have a big purchase? How are we going to work our way through that? And I think that if you can come to a place where you both are accepting of that, that's fantastic. Uh, and, and who's to say that down the line you might not join accounts? Maybe you might. I don't know necessarily what that looks like. I don't even know what state you live in. Um, Some states are what are called community property states. So you start putting money together and it's fantastic. But if you got divorced or anything kind of tough like that happened, separating the money out gets a little bit more complicated. It's it's kind of 50-50 and the lines get real blurred and you know, um, I'm not an estate attorney or a CPA, so I'm not going to go down that road, but just something for you to know. I don't know what what state you live in and I don't know what the state laws are in your particular state. Um, so I think as long as you go into it with the understanding of, okay, we're separate right now. We're okay with it being separate, but we're also okay with really rolling up our sleeves and talking about the tough money subjects, especially when they come up And we're trying to think about things like, you know, after you get married, maybe you should start thinking about life insurance. You should start thinking about getting a will in place. These sorts of things where it's going to be hard to ignore the fact that you're still going to have to make money decisions together. So as long as you can get to a place where you can talk about tough things in a really open place and where you can go to experts when you don't know, when you can go to a CPA, when you can go to an attorney, when you can go to a financial planner and help them, have them help you figure your way through it. As long as you're willing to do that, there's nothing necessarily wrong with having separate accounts. Personally, my personal opinion, this is just, again, me, asterisk mark, speaking personally, I feel like it's a lot easier to have them combined. Maybe you have your own separate spending account, but there's just not any of those conversations around you make more, I make less, my money, your money, who's going to pay for what? There's just not conversations about that. So when we got married, it's together, it's ours, it's um, a real mutual connection decision and I Believe in my heart of hearts that money is one of those things where you have to have a good partnership in place, regardless of together, bank accounts together, bank accounts separate. So I hope that's maybe given you a little bit of guidance. Again, there isn't one way, there isn't one right way, especially right when you first get married. But I think, you know, having some of those tough discussions particularly after you get married, just so that you have some sort of comfort in knowing, okay, if something happened, what is gonna be our strategy from there? And what are we gonna do for those big purchases? I really feel like um, those are extremely necessary conversations to have and will definitely help you continue to not fight about money. So for what it's worth, Amanda, hope that's given you just a little bit of guidance. I honestly am going to say I am so excited for today's podcast episode. I get sent a lot of books to review, and honestly, most of them I'll read a few chapters, I'll kind of skim through, I'll get the idea of what's going on, enough so to have a really educated discussion on the podcast, but I got this book called Invested by Danielle Town, and I thought okay, you know, it's going to be a dry boring investing book and I started reading it and honestly, I couldn't put the book down. I was like, "Oh my gosh, like this is the best investing book I've ever read because it was written for me. I feel like and I feel like it's written for you too." And it really walked through this 12-month process that Danielle went through to find her financial freedom through getting really educated with stock investing and each chapter is broken down to each different month. And so it's really uh, tangible tips that you can follow and you can break them down into these bite-sized bits so that it can come alive for you. It doesn't feel overwhelming. But, you know, I was really excited to interview uh, Danielle. She lives in Zurich, Switzerland now. So we had to work out a little bit of the time schedule there. And I thought, oh my gosh, like totally fingers crossed. I hope she's really as cool as... Her book as she wrote in her book. And sometimes, you know, um, people don't necessarily live up to our expectations. And so the second that we hopped on the call to interview for the podcast, I was like, yes, she is just as amazing and fantastic as I had hoped she would be. And more than that, she dishes so many pearls of wisdom. I just feel like this is probably one of the best podcast episodes that we've done and definitely one that you're going to want to bookmark and have on repeat and come back and listen to over and over again. She's got her own podcast. She's got the book. And I just, again, it is truly from an honest place in my heart that I'm saying this book uh, is, it's like a... It's really like a roadmap, like a guidebook for investing through somebody else's journey. And I just think it's so incredibly relatable. So before we head into the awesome interview with Danielle, a quick word for our podcast episode sponsors. Big thanks to our podcast episode sponsor, Brooklinen. You know, a couple of months ago, I went on this quest to upgrade our nightly routine so I could just feel a lot more well-rested every day. I was feeling totally worn out and I'm so happy I did. I've been sleeping on Brooklinen sheets now for well over a month, and they're awesome. Breathable, so soft to the touch, a total luxury experience without the big markup. What I love is that Brooklinen was founded in 2014 by a millennial couple, and they wanted to create the most beautiful and comfy home essentials without the crazy prices. Brooklyn and is also the fastest growing bedding brand in the world with over 20,000 five star reviews of happy sleepers, just like me. And they were even named the winner of the best of online bedding category by Good Housekeeping. They have so many colors and patterns you can choose from and you can mix and match. That's exactly what we did. But you have to do yourself a favor and try these sheets because honestly, my Brooklyn sheets are the best, most comfortable sheets I've slept on. And honestly, I am sleeping so much sounder. It makes such the difference. Brooklynin.com has an exclusive offer just for you for being a listener. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code MyMoney at mymoneyatbrooklynin.com. And Brooklyn is so confident they're going to offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all their sheets and comforters. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is use promo code mymoney at mymoneyatbrooklynin.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code mymoney. And a big shout out to our other podcast episode sponsor, Beachbody On Demand. You know, I've been using Beachbody On Demand for over a year on my own because I really wanted to have workouts at home and when I travel and also have access to them anytime during the day from my computer, my phone, or any other device. And of course, I wanted something that was affordable. I've been working out with their 21 Day Fix program. I'm about halfway through this go around and I feel so much stronger. I definitely have more muscle. And a lot more energy, so I'm getting summer beach ready. You may have heard of some of the beach body brands like P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fix, and 3 Week Yoga Retreat, which is a new favorite of mine to totally de-stress. They have workouts for any level, and they range from 10 minutes to over an hour, so you can always find time. And you can find so many different options depending on the results that you want to have. It's not just workouts. Beachbody also has a ton of nutritional content and workout guides. So it really is like the one stop shop for your health and fitness goals. I'd love for you to try Beachbody On Demand with me this summer so we can get our Beach Bodies on. Whether you're a serious athlete or you're just looking for some workouts now to start going, Beachbody On Demand is your place. Right now, listeners can get a free trial membership when you text my money no spaces to 303030. You get full access to the entire platform for all the free workouts, nutritional information, and support. Again, just text my money no spaces to 303030. All right, Danielle. So I know I said this offline to you, but it is definitely worth repeating. I get a ton of preview books. I normally read the first couple chapters to get the gist of the book. But honestly, <laughs> I sat down with your book, invested on Friday night, and I didn't stop reading it until Sunday. Obviously, I slept, but um, I didn't stop <laughs> reading it. And it's just, you know, it's unlike the stale investing books that I've read over and over and over again. So, I mean, at first, I just wanted to say really thank you to you for writing something I feel that's so honest and relatable. And I feel like really transparent for anybody who's interested in starting to invest. Thank
1: you. Wow. That's the best review I could ever ask for. Thank you so much. (laughs) That's exactly what I was going for with this book. I mean, I frankly find most investing books to be the most boring way to spend a Friday night I could possibly think of. And my goal was to change that to Provide something that was like a fun read and interesting and funny and filled with just sort of a personal story, but then weave in that investing information. So whoever finishes the book will actually know how to invest on their own by the end of the book, but that's almost a side note to the story of the book so i'm so glad that you enjoyed it
0: yeah and you know speaking of that story obviously your dad is is kind of an investing legend Phil Town. for those who don't know and you talk i mean i feel like so openly in the book is that's what i love is you're sharing your stories through this all but you talk about the struggles of you know divorce and your parents and how as a kid you weren't that close to your dad And Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering, you know, as you were growing up, did you know about your dad's investing success, his career? Or was that kind of like just, you know, something out there in the ethers?
1: I really didn't know much about what he did. No. I mean, so I was 11 when my parents got divorced and I had no clue what he did for work before then. (laughs) And then he and I have talked about this in the book. it, It was a huge money moment for me actually when they got divorced because they completely went to war and as often happens in divorce money became it was like you could fight over the money and you could fight over the kids and they fought over the money and my dad I mean we have a good relationship now and it's all okay so it's okay to say this but my dad you know literally left town and he literally took the money with him and my poor mom had to just sort of pick up the pieces. And she was incredibly strong and so amazing. And I didn't realize that at the time at all. I mean, I was just a mess of a kid at the time. And um, it wasn't until, you know, so my dad came out just to close that story. My dad came back and they ended up firing their lawyers and ended up just getting in a room and talking it out with a mediator and, um, and worked it out. And they, Um, My dad moved in close to us and they now have a very good relationship and um, and everything's fine. And my dad and I repaired our relationship. And so I actually kind of forgot, not that that happened, but I forgot about the money part of it. It just there was so much other stuff, I think, that was painful that that stuff just got buried. And so it wasn't until I became an adult, I became an attorney, I got a little bit of money and I didn't know what to do with it. And I was also working at a big law firm and was getting really exhausted and burnt out and actually physically sick. And I was starting to wonder how much longer I could keep this job up. And I finally turned to my dad and said, what should I do? And that has started this whole journey that led me to remember, actually, that experience and how much money was a part of it. And it forced me to realize that I actually, of all people, didn't trust my own dad around money. And it, as I've told people this story, they have had similar stories, not in the same facts at all, but in the way where like, as soon as we start to talk about money and our parents and how we grew up, We all have a relationship with money that we grow up with, and it is so close to the surface. It's right there as soon as we start thinking about it. But most of the time we don't. And I think that's why we avoid it.
0: The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and T-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. But now you can get your data removed with Delete.me. That's why I personally choose Delete.me. Delete.me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web. And in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete.me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for delete me now at a special price for my listeners today get 20% off your delete me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com/etm and use promo code etm at checkout the only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash ETM and enter code ETM at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code ETM for twenty percent off. Yeah, I mean, that's such a good point. You know, I I read a statistic um, a couple years ago that said by the time we're age seven, we have formed kind of how we think, act and feel about money based off of obviously our parents and any, you know, society influences or things like that. But you're absolutely right. You know, it isn't until you're older and you maybe you step back or maybe you have your first Kind of tough decision around money, uh, and you're questioning things that I think when you look back, it's like, good or bad, you know, you're absolutely right. Those things are really
1: impactful. Yeah. And money is different than anything else as far as emotions. Like money is so wrapped up in our worth, it's so wrapped up in our relationships, in love, in security, in feeling safe. And yet we kind of are. I think, told a lot to kind of toss it to the side and go like, oh, money's not important. Like, I don't care about that. No, money is incredibly important because it it implicates all of these other feelings that we have. I mean, it literally will tell us our worth to what we do every day in terms of our salary. It can tell us our worth to our family in terms of what we can bring home for them or we can give to them. It can tell us our worth in our communities in terms of what we can give to charity or give to schools. It can tell us how we feel about ourselves in terms of our am I, t- am I self-sufficient? Am I taking care of myself? Am I dependent on somebody else? A husband? A wife? I mean, it's so involved in our emotions and I think for some reason we're told to ignore that because there's something yucky about it. But I hope that we stop doing that. I think it's really important to notice that this, this thing is different and to take the power back in a big way.
0: Absolutely. I I totally agree with you. And you know, you talk about obviously the crux of the book invested is really this 12 month kind of journey that you took with with your dad as kind of your your coach to get you to this place of financial freedom. You know, you talked just a little bit about it earlier. But take me back, though, you know, what was life like before you started on this journey to financial freedom? Did you think this was even possible?
1: Oh, God, no. No, (laughs) I I had, um, I went to a whole bunch of school, I have like a ridiculous number of graduate degrees. (laughs) And um, because I kept on first, I wanted to maybe go into I just loved studying religion. So I have a graduate degree in religion. And then I thought, No, I want to go to law school and become like a First Amendment lawyer, which I really wanted to do. So I went to law school. And then I got fascinated by entrepreneurs and by the way, you asked me about what my dad did when I was young. He was an investor and an entrepreneur. And that kind of came back to me when I was in law school and I started getting really interested in companies and in helping startups and venture capital get going. And I realized this was actually connected to, again, to my childhood and to money. I mean, good Lord, yes. like, I need a shrink on this stuff. <laughs> and so and so, I became a startup and venture capital attorney, which I absolutely loved and lived in Boulder, Colorado, had my dream job, had a great house, like everything was really good. And I planned to live there forever. So I never thought about what to do in the future. I just, I never really thought about retirement. Like retirement to me was, and frankly probably still feels a bit like this kind of like far off golf course gold watch kind of thing that I frankly don't really want like I want to have a really good life now and yes I can't really imagine retiring when I'm 60 and living another 30 years like kind of chilling so I, I don't know like I'm I'm focused on now and the next 10 years and 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 really like being able to live the kind of life I want and so I was doing that but then I started to get sick, as I said, and I started to realize I wasn't going to be able to keep that lifestyle up for too much longer. And that's what really gave me that push into, okay, I need to basically find like a side hustle. I need to figure something else out to do so that if I can't keep this job up, I'm going to be okay, And um, and that combined with finding out about compounding and inflation, which are I don't know if you, well, you know about this, I'm sure, but inflation, <laughs> I didn't know this, so I'm just going to say it. Inflation affects our savings. So my whole plan was like, I'm not going to bother with investing. I don't want anything to do with the financial world or markets because they go up and down and I don't understand it and I can't predict it. So I just didn't want anything to do with it. So I was like, I'm just going to save all my money and that'll be great. And in like 20 years, I will magically probably know more than I do now. And I will just know what to do and it'll be OK. And so I was really proud of myself. And I mentioned <laughs> this plan to my dad and he goes, Danielle, what about inflation? And I was like, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? <laughs> and he goes, what about inflation? Inflation is going to destroy your savings. And I said no it won't. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then and I he was like, "Don't you I mean, it was this total like disconnect of like, are you stupid? Like, do we understand each other here? What what are we talking about?" And You're like, thought, do you see how many degrees I have? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he knows that I'm terrible with numbers and money stuff. Um, so he was, but it was a little bit of like, are you this terrible? Really? And so I said, Well, I mean, I know about like inflation in a sort of a macroeconomic sense where like prices go up for some reason that I can't totally explain. And that's pretty much what I know. And he was like, Yeah, and when that happens the value, the buying power of your savings is going to go down. So if you save $20,000 in 20 years, you are not going to be able to buy $20,000 worth of stuff with that $20,000. And the rate of inflation is an average of 3% a year, which means, and this is the part that nobody ever connected for me. We have to do something with our money to get an average of 3% per year just to keep up with inflation or else we're losing money. Like it's insane. And I mean, through no fault of our own, by the way, through like being good little savers who are doing the right thing. And once I found that out, I was like, Oh my God, I have to actually take action here. I can't just save my money. I it's it's still as you can tell it still kind of blows my mind
0: (laughs) yeah and I think you know you, you make a good point because I think that you know somebody could pick up the book and be like oh well her dad is this investing legend she has to like just you know almost by like osmosis have all this knowledge and yet you're so honest that you know you didn't and, and numbers weren't your thing. Maybe they still aren't exactly your thing. And I think that gives it so much more credence because it's almost like, okay, if you can do it and you're telling me exactly how you did it, why can't I do it as well? And I think there's something really powerful about
1: that, you know, just that, that honesty too. I think that message is so important. If any, if I can do this, anybody can do this. And yes, I was, am super lucky to have a father who I can ask all the questions I want. And he is amazing because he answers all of my questions. Like he doesn't have to do that. And he just sits with me And will stay with me for hours until I get it. He's amazing. Like I couldn't pay for that. So I'm really glad that I can then pass that on and share all of that with people through the book and through our podcast and really show that (laughs) this stuff is how to put it exactly. It's like it's it's simple. It's not the it's not always easy, but it is simple. And all we need is some education. And the thing is, we don't get financial education. They don't teach us this stuff in school. And I have a lot of degrees, as I said, and I'm an educated person. And I did not understand that inflation affects my savings because I didn't study economics. So we are all like so siloed now that if you're not in business and I have to say, though, I even get emails from people who are in business and say to me, I didn't realize that like I had never connected that to my own money before. So I think there's a lot of shame around not knowing there's 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 a combination of like we don't have anybody to ask and I'm lucky and I have somebody who I could ask and I'm excited that we can put it out there and uh, and and you guys can all find out the same stuff. Yeah. And it's based off
0: this idea of value investing and maybe just tell the person listening who is you know new to the world of investing like what makes that different i know we could spend like a half an hour on that but you know what is sort of the crux behind value investing
1: it's a great question so value investing comes from the idea that you invest in the fundamentals of a company And the clearest way to understand it is what it's not. So what it's not is just choosing like a stock and then holding that stock for an hour or a day or, you know, a, a week, like what people call short term. So value investing is focused on companies that have great cash flow, great income coming in, are doing good things, well managed, and you buy it and you hold it for a long time. You buy it cheaply, I should say. And you hold it for a long time. And the person who does this the most well known is Warren Buffett. And this is what my dad taught me is specifically Warren Buffett style value investing because he's he and Charlie Munger are very Charlie Munger is his investing partner. They are extremely focused on these principles of value investing so that even if you, choose a company that maybe you buy it a little bit at the wrong time, they're not trying to time the market at all. I mentioned that I was terrified of the ups and downs of the market. And they frankly have found a way to not even really care about it. They just find companies that are priced well, that have good earnings, good cash flow coming in, and there are ways to find that stuff out that isn't too hard, that have good management, and you just buy it at a sensible price. And that's it. So it's so simple that even people complex. <laughs> but even people like me can find a way to do it that isn't too hard. And like you said, I've put it in the book into twelve months, one chapter per month, and each month has a practice, because I consider investing to be a practice. Each month has a practice, um, or sort of a set of tasks that go along with it. So that by the end of the book, or by the end of the 12 months, if you did all of those practices, you would know how to be a value investor on your own. And I know, because I've read the book, but, um, you know, were there certain
0: moments in there in this 12 months where you're like, forget it, I'm just gonna pack it in. I don't care about this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I don't want to go through the next month.
1: Yeah, pretty much every month. Like <laughs> <laughs> it was It's an interesting progression. And I think as people start to do their own investing practices, they'll feel a lot of the same stuff because as you're learning anything, there are blocks along the way. There are roadblocks. There are walls. There are things you have to kind of get through. And they're going to be a little different for each one of us because we each have our own skills and our own things that we're not so good at. But generally, for me, it was stuff like, okay, first of all, this is really boring and I don't want to do it. Okay, how do I get through that? Well, I started reading the business news and discovered that I could ignore all the articles that I thought were boring and just start reading the ones that seemed cool and interesting. And then I started to connect what I was reading with stuff that I use in my daily life, like For example, my Apple computer. There's a heck of a lot of financial articles about Apple. And once you start to read them, if you are interested in that, it becomes really interesting to walk around and notice how many people use Apple products and where you're seeing the potential for those products to go in the future. And then you start to wonder if the management is aware of all the thoughts you're having about the future of their company. And you just start to get really involved. And the world kind of becomes this like, strange more 3D version of itself where I now see publicly traded companies all over the place. It's super weird. And it makes like going to the grocery store much more interesting. (laughs) So that's a that's a block. And then there was the block where I just I just couldn't even still like couldn't totally get into the investing thing. And that's when I really had to look inside myself and try to figure out what was stopping me. And it was this lack of trust that I had with my dad who is the guy who was teaching me investing and I think for other people it'll be stuff like dealing with how their parents taught them about money or how they feel maybe as somebody who's actively taking time to make more money that's hard for a lot of us and we really have to get through those emotional issues and I lay out pretty clearly in the book exactly how I did it. And then there's the whole numbers thing because I am (laughs) and I'm going through chapter by chapter basically because this is the progression. So I got through the I got through the emotional stuff and getting through is kind of the wrong way to say it because it's stuff I will always have with me. But being able to handle it and work through it and and having it be a conscious part of me is very different than what it was before. And then the numbers. I mean, I just had to like wrestle those things. I had to figure out the equations. My dad. God love him is such a numbers guy that it was really hard for him to describe it to me. And he's written two books on this, (laughs) which I read (laughs) and still didn't understand. So I was determined to understand it and make sure I put it out there in a way that everybody else could understand it too. So I've done the work on that. It's going to be a lot easier for everybody who reads the book than it was for me. Then it's about really practicing. And, and I really mean that in in the conventional sense, practicing investing, reading, studying, trying to choose companies that you like, making lists, seeing if you feel comfortable with the company you like. I had to do this whole thing with practice shares where I actually buy I bought a small amount of a company just to see what it felt like because I was so anxious and terrified of buying stock and doing it wrong so that was incredibly helpful to me. And my dad thought I was completely nuts. And and then I told him about it. <laughs> You're so, practicing? So he, yeah. he was like pissed at me. He was like, you have taken everything I'm trying to teach you and completely ignored it and just thrown it out the window. And how dare you, basically. And I said, well... I'm sorry, but I just have to I just have to practice this. I'm totally freaked out about it, and I don't care that you don't get it and whatever it's two hundred bucks, and I just won't even tell you when I do it and so I went ahead and 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 I detailed the whole thing in the book and i I like was so nervous and I was afraid of pressing the wrong button and I finally got through it, and then I realized that the market was actually not open at the time that I was doing it. <laughs> So it turns out, everybody, the market opens at 930 in the morning, but I thought it opened at nine. So it was like, I don't know, 915 and the order didn't go through. And I just had to like twiddle my thumbs and text my friends and I folded some laundry and waited for the market to open. And then I had to do the whole thing all over again and finally bought these shares And then immediately like freaked out because all of a sudden I owned stock. And what does that mean? And I downloaded all these stock tracking apps to my phone and then I started watching them. And then the price went down by like 10 cents. And I was like, oh, my God, I should have waited 20 minutes. What was I thinking? And then it went up by about 30 cents. And I was like, I am a stock market genius. I (laughs) I have this figured out. Like, I'm amazing at this. And then I realized I was just being nuts and I took all the apps and I put them all nested them into a folder on my phone and put it on like the last page of my phone. And I called the box torture and I have never clicked on the torture box ever since then. So, you know, that's such a good point, though,
0: because I think, you know, you can get yourself and I think that's what most people think is they're going to get in that like frenzied state uh, and, you know, just be so nervous that they're not going to be able to handle it. And you actually are like, OK, I'm going to walk through this process. I'm going to have the frenzy moment. And then I'm going to go, OK, this is ridiculous. This is not what I'm being trained to do, et cetera, et cetera. I exactly.
1: Exactly. I find that people either totally get it or they think it's totally nuts and a waste of time. And if you're in the latter camp, that's fine. You don't need to do it totally be you. And if you're in my camp, it's the best and I highly recommend doing it. It's so helpful just to practice. We don't have to have all the pressure that we see like on CNBC and in the financial news. We don't have to be like that. And the amazing thing about long-term value investing is that we just assume that we're not going to time it right. We're just not. We're going to miss the high and hopefully, we're going to miss the low. And we're going to make a lot of money right there in the nice middle. And that takes so much pressure off. It's just amazing. It makes me feel so much better and so much safer and so much happier doing this stuff. Yeah. And you, you went
0: through this whole process in the book of you know, kind of finding or sorting through like, what are those things that you love to do? What are the hobbies you love to do? Okay, what are the companies associated with those hobbies? And then you talk about, you know, a big win you had with with Whole Foods kind of towards the end of the book. And I think what's really important in that is, you know, we're kind of in this frenzied state of like cryptocurrency and blockchain and all of these things that most people do not understand, but they feel like, oh my gosh, I should be invested in it because if I'm not invested in it, I'm not going to make money. And But your whole process is like you found companies that you... That resonated with you, that you did background, a lot of background investigation. And like you, like you said that it became a, a story to you. It, it came to life for you almost like a, in a movie, if you will. And I think that's an important distinction to make about the type of investing that, you know, your dad's done and that you've learned. And certainly that Warren Buffett and, and Charlie Munger do. It's, uh, you know, it's really digging in, but it's finding those
1: companies where you connect with. It's all about that. That's what makes it fun and enjoyable and a great part of my life that actually, when I don't do it now, I actually miss it. So that I never expected to happen in a million years to me with investing. But it's true. I I really enjoy the research and and I kind of fall in love with these. Like Whole Foods, I fell in love with completely. It was so hard to sell. Even at a huge profit, it was so hard for me to sell. I felt like I was breaking up with Whole Foods. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to let you go. I don't want to let you go. (laughs) But there's a huge difference there between investing and speculating. Investing is what you do when you have a very strong, confident sense of what the outcome is going to be. You understand what you're buying. You understand why you're buying it. And you understand the price you're buying it at and where you think it's going to go. What speculating is, is when you don't have that confidence, when it's a guess, when you're hoping that there's some greater fool out there who's going to buy it at a higher price. And you can't really explain why that's speculating. I want no part of the speculating. There are people who, I don't know, seem to be pretty good at it. Like I wouldn't, I actually think that's a very wrong word to use because you can't really be good at speculating. You can be lucky at speculating. And I think right now what we are all dealing with are all these people who have made all this money in cryptocurrency. And it's like, well, that guy doesn't seem that smart. I mean, I could probably do that, right? Like, why aren't I doing that? And the answer is, we don't know enough about it. Now, that said, you can take a part of your portfolio and use it on what my dad calls risky biz stuff. So that's for stuff like cryptocurrency. It's stuff where you are speculating and you're okay with losing that money. You have to be okay with losing that money. But it can be used for fun stuff like buying Bitcoin or buying Tesla or, you know, whatever exciting company you're into. It's kind of
0: the, the yeah, like the Vegas bit, you know, you can throw it on the craps table.
1: And if you happen to uh, roll correctly, then awesome. And it's totally fun and fine to do that as long as you know you're doing it, as long as you don't confuse it with investing and then use the rest of your portfolio For the actual investing. I mean, some of us are more interested in gambling than others. I personally really don't enjoy gambling, so I don't do any of the risky biz stuff. But I'm excited. I actually think blockchain is fascinating, which is the uh, technology that underlies cryptocurrency. And I'm really excited about some blockchain companies that are at some point going to get bigger here in the future. So I could see at that point, because I think it's so interesting getting into the story of those companies and of blockchain and using the risky biz part of my portfolio for that.
0: Yeah, super cool. So, you know, you turned obviously this journey into a book and a podcast uh, that you do with your with your dad. Was that always the plan? Or did that just kind of evolve through this process?
1: Oh, it totally evolved. It started with the podcast, actually. Um, so I started talking to my dad about investing stuff very quickly. I realized, I don't know if anybody can relate to this, but I realized I probably wasn't going to call him every week and talk to him about investing voluntarily. So I selfishly said, why don't we do a podcast and people can, you know, if they're interested, follow along with me. And I sort of thought to myself, like, I'll have the peer pressure of having to do this podcast episode every week. And that way we'll keep up with it. And he said, great. So we started to do the podcast and it was just, frankly, a huge hit right out of the gate, which neither of us expected at all. And we had all these listeners and all these people writing in. And it was so great. And it was so nice for me to feel like I wasn't alone on this thing. And there were a lot of people who had the same questions that I did And um, and out of that came all these questions from people saying, like, you talked about this thing, but it wasn't totally clear. Can you give like clarification or this equation was confusing when you talked about it? And I realized that podcasts are fantastic for stories and conversations. They're a little less good audio wise for giving detailed financial information and so we thought let's do a book that gives all that stuff for people. And as I said I didn't want to write a boring investing book. So I thought okay I'll make it about me and my story and our story together and um and really weave it all in and and just make this a book for people who would not normally buy an investing book.
0: Yes, I'm so glad you did. Really honestly. Um all right, I feel like I could talk forever with you but I'd love to leave the listeners with one piece of money advice that you'd say to someone listening who really wants to start their investing journey towards this, you know, concept of financial freedom. They're not they were like you, not sure what that looks like. Maybe they don't have a lot of money, maybe they're kind of scared to start investing. What would you tell them to do?
1: Oh, well, first of all, you are me. That was me for sure. And secondly, it's just about getting over the hump. I'm actually doing a course online about getting over the hump for this exact thing where we are scared and we're freaked out and we kind of want to do it, but we're busy, right? We're all really busy. And like, how do you know if it's worth it to devote time to this thing? So here's what I say. Keep it really simple. There's no pressure here. Start simple. Start with becoming brave. And all becoming brave means is that you're even thinking about it. And then just start looking around. Start noticing what products and what services you use in your life. Literally, like spend like 30 seconds looking around. And I bet you will see five different publicly traded companies just around you with stuff that you actually already have opinions about stuff that you know about, stuff where you go, oh, that thing's awesome and that thing's terrible. And then maybe just Google a couple of those companies and start to see how much you actually already know about companies that are out there that you could buy. And then think, this is something I add to value investing stuff. Think about the mission of those companies. Are those companies companies that you want to support with your own money? Would you want to have your money supporting their values. And if they are, then go a little deeper. And maybe this thing will start getting a little bit more interesting and a little bit more personal. I think that putting our money where our values are is the linchpin to this whole thing because it makes it so much larger than just us, so much larger than just making money, so much larger than simply finding finding investing even interesting. We could actually, if we all put our money where our values are and specifically voted our money, just like we vote for president or anything else, we could actually change this market into one that supports stakeholders, that does conscious capitalism right, that doesn't support companies that put antibiotics into animals that treat employees badly, that pollute, and that does put money into companies that do things well and consciously. And if we all did that, we would actually change this market and not least change our own bank accounts.
0: That is an incredible piece of advice. All right. Tell listeners uh, where they can find you, the book,
1: the podcast, and everything else. Sure. Um, Well, it's been so fun to talk to you. So I'm at danielletown.com. Um, I have a free monthly newsletter on there with all sorts of investing practice stuff that I'm working on. And that um, is just like fun information, trying to keep this thing fun and light and interesting. And, And like I said, I have that online course coming up for getting over the hump. And then I'm on social media at Danielle Town on Instagram and Danielle underscore Town on Twitter and Danielle Town Invested on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And um, the book is everywhere. It's a New York Times bestseller now. So it's uh, and thank you to everybody for buying the book. So it's in bookstores all over the place. It's on Amazon. And um, should I say the name? I'm sure you've already done that. Uh, yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay, so because it's long. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's invested how Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger taught me to master my mind, my emotions and my money with a little help from my dad. And I love that my dad gets like second billing to Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger.
0: (laughs) I told you that was going to be so super awesome. Hope that you totally enjoy that interview with Danielle. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Shauna Game. And if you love this podcast, hey, do me a favor. Share it with your friends. Shout it out on social media. And head on over to that link in the show notes to leave us a review.